Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. We'll take a moment and uh, pray together before we look at our scripture. We're continuing a series uh, considering the things that God has called us to as a community, as Bethany Community Church, a better body. We're talking about the body of Christ. What does it mean to be the church? And uniquely, what does it mean for us at Bethany? So let's take a moment. We'll pray together. Father, thanks that we can gather here within these walls listening for your voice. And we're Asking, trusting, praying that your Holy Spirit, the God of all peace, would speak to each of us. We live in a divided world. Our own hearts are divided. And you've called us to unity in the midst of that. So would you speak to us and not only give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, but hearts to respond. Next steps for each of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the best testimonies against our faith is the tendency that we have as believers to shoot each other and divide and argue and get defensive over countless number of issues, theologically and practically. And I'm old enough now that I've seen this happen over and over again, people dividing over things that are really kind of trendy issues, but... There are issues that come and go, and yet when the issue goes away, we've already divided, and it's too late. For example, um, people divide over the age of the earth in the church. People divide over divorce and remarriage. People divide over the role of women in leadership. People divide over uh, sexual ethics, both uh, heterosexual ethics and uh, homosexual ethics. Uh, People divide over movies. may surprise you. I've ran a, led a house church up in the mountains. And uh, so Don and I had watched a movie. It's titled Regarding Henry. It's an old Harrison Ford movie. I think it's rated PG-13. Somebody corrected me after the first verse. said it was PG. Try to exaggerate my illustrations. So PG-13. And so somebody, after the worship service, is sitting on the counter in our, in our living room where we, where we worship. And one of, one of our congregants, he sees the movie, he goes, what? You watch it with your kids? And I go, yeah. He, and he goes, well, don't you know that uh, like God doesn't want you to watch anything other than G movies with your kids? God, uh, don't you love that? God doesn't want you to watch. And I said, I didn't know that. <laughs> so maybe we have a little discussion here, right? And then we had, a, we had somewhat of a debate about this and can... Can a movie be edifying if there's swearing in the movie? Can, can it? And we could take a vote right now, right? But we're all wildly liberal here. I know it'd be, all, it'd be okay, right? <laughs> uh, but in some settings, it's, 
it was divisive, it was divisive in that space. And, and then the flesh gets in because it gets heated in the moment. So I said to him, well, I don't want to tell you what we watched last weekend because then you'd really be mad. And then he says, what'd you watch? And I go, Braveheart, rated R. How's that? Ha! Right? Oh, baby, we do this. Like we divide. And in the moment, we get heated. And then I'll share one more illustration with you, and it has to do with the, uh, uh, the debate. It was big in the 70s, a, de- a debate about the spiritual gifts and what gifts are for today and what gifts aren't. And if you're new to the church, just bear with me for a moment. But people are debating, can you speak in tongues or do you have to, different things like that. So I'm walking uh, down uh, toward Pike Place Market and uh, the woman's handing out Bibles. And she tries to hand me a Bible and I go, don't need one. On the same team, I'm a believer already. Without missing a beat, she goes, do you speak in tongues uh, and, and have you given evidence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues? And I go, well, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I'm smiling. But I, but I don't speak in tongues. And then she goes, well, then you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit, then you're not a believer. And then she tries to give me a Bible again. And I push the Bible back. And I go, yes, I am. And I start to walk away. And then the flesh gets in again. And I grab the Bible from her. And I go, oh, yes, I am filled with the Spirit. I'll show you why. You know, and so here I am, and it's Bible grenades going off. The <laughs> you know, 1 Corinthians 12, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll see your 12 and raise you. 1 Corinthians 14, boom, right? John 17, boom, boom. And we're fighting right there, like on Pike Street. This woman, uh, she's walking behind, and I, she just oh, gives a wide berth around. And I hear her, and she goes, that's why I left the church 10 years ago. Right? Oh, yeah, we do this. We argue about things, and, and, and people who desperately need the transforming life of Christ, A, don't care about these arguments, and B, we give them a very good reason not to believe in Jesus. <laughs> so our fighting negates the one thing Jesus prayed for over and over again, because what he prayed for, John 17, 20 and 21, End of his ministry, last prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying, and he says this, he prays for us. He goes, I don't ask just on behalf of the disciples who are there in the room, but I ask for, uh, also for those who believe in me through them, that's us. I pray that they may be one. Even, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they may be one, so that the world may know and believe that you sent me. Wow. So uh, <laughs> when we're fighting about things where we don't have certitude, we're negating the thing about which we do have certitude. Does that make sense? Because here's the one thing we know, we're called to unity. We're, we know it. Jesus prayed for it. And, 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 and so we see here, not only did Jesus pray for unity in John 17, but we see that Jesus' identity and the unifying factor is that Jesus is a sent one. He says, the world will believe that I'm sent when they see a united church. And sending becomes important, as we'll see in just a moment. This is why there's been a saying hanging out here in our foyer. I mean, so if you ever need to go to the restroom here at Bethany, you go out to the left and then to the left again, like you're going to go down the hallway here. Right above the door, check it out. It's this sign. You saw it in the film. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. 
uh, Jim and Vicki McClure, who we've already heard, saw that sign when they were students at Seattle Pacific in the 60s. I saw that sign when I was a student in the 70s. That's why I'm here today. That's one of our most important values. And these three practices taken together create a path for embodying our calling to be united as people of grace and truth. So now what we'll do this morning is we're going to look at each of those things. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity only. We're going to flip them. So we're going to start with what is most important. In all things, charity. And then in non-essentials, liberty. And then in essentials, unity. So here we go. Starting point, in all things, charity. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I'll just read it again. Paul... Uh, writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, says a very important word. In the first three chapters uh, in this letter, he, he says, look, here's a bunch of things that have happened to you, right? You know, saved, adopted, filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed by Christ, called. And then, he says, now, because all this has happened to you, he says, therefore, I'm asking you, know, I'm begging you, actually, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So you're, look, you've been given all these riches, now live like a rich person, right? In other words, begin to embody in your actual daily living the life that Christ has placed in you. Well, oh, great, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like, verse two. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, tolerance for one another in love. Now the word tolerance implies, hear it, the word tolerance implies what? That you don't agree. Or that you're annoyed with someone. It's one or the other. I don't agree with you ideologically. Or, or it may be a matter of where I don't really have a conviction, but I don't like what you're doing. It's annoying to me, right? And so it says here, can you believe this? In, in a polarized culture such as our own, and by our own I mean American culture in general, and evangelicals as well, Deeply polarized. Paul now says, look, the worthy walk will be characterized by, and here's the word, tolerance. Wow. Okay, that's pretty powerful. And, and, and not just tolerance, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Diligent, work hard, preserving the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To do this, you're going to have to love each other. So in all things, charity. In other words, what, what will enable us to have tolerance, humility, grace, patience, is love. Love will be the ingredient that will allow us to display those characteristics. And the primacy of love as our prevailing ethic is, is articulated consistently throughout the whole Bible. If you go back all the way to Leviticus, in Leviticus you see in chapter 19, uh, God is setting up laws that will define God's people as distinct. In other words, uh, Israel, you'll live different than all the other nations, and be, by virtue of your difference, People will see the character of God. You're called to be image bearers uniquely as the nation in a world of you know, polytheism and, and, and paganism characterized by oppression, greed, injustice, strife, war, and vengeance. You'll live differently, right? And so then God is giving them this law and he says, here's some of the ways you'll live differently. Leviticus uh, uh, 19, you'll be generous, eh? You'll be generous. In other words, uh, uh, you'll always pay your people on time, which was called generosity, interestingly. Uh, and, then, and then you'll leave, the, like when you harvest, you'll leave the corners of your field for poor. You won't gossip. You won't take vengeance on someone. 
And you go back even a few more chapters, and oh, oh, by the way, slaves will be released. You don't own them forever. Six years, but in the seventh year, they go, and they go with money. <laughs> oh, and the immigrant, uh, the stranger among you, you'll welcome them. You won't destroy them. They're not, they're not destined to a life of perpetual servitude and poverty. You know, minimum wage jobs. Oh, no, you're going to empower them. Oh, oh and uh, widows and orphans, my heart is for them. You'll make sure that, that no one goes hungry. What's this look like? <laughs> Love. Relationships, and not just relationships, but it, relationships that cross divides. Have, caring for have not. Native, caring for immigrant. Well settled, caring for stranger. Neighbor, caring for neighbor. Enemy, caring for enemy. Jesus, Matthew 6. So look, for this to work, for there to be unity, I've got to set my heart on something. I have to learn here. One of the most important things I can do is begin to actively love one another. First Peter says it this way, love one another deeply from the heart. You have to. This is, everything depends on practicing love, right? Practicing love. So Jesus in John 13, 34 says this to the disciples after washing their feet. He says, look, I'm giving you a new commandment now. There's a new commandment. He says, I want you to love one another in the same manner in which I loved you. How did I love you? I came to you. I crossed over. I crossed the divide. I didn't make you come to me. I went to you. I'm a send one. So you enter into relationship with people, listen, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's hard, even when it's awkward, I'm calling you to proactively cross divides and, be, and, and, and enter into relationship. And one of the subtext promises is this, in the end, as the choir just sang so beautifully, you will find joy. <laughs> like if you go out, if you go out, you'll find joy in going out. Who knew? A lot of us don't know because we don't go out. To the extent that I stay in an echo chamber, uh, relating with and listening only to people who think like me, talk like me, act like me, believe like me, uh, then I haven't crossed over, but I haven't crossed over. Then I'm in direct denial of this exact principle here. Because the testimony is that we're called to love in the same way Jesus loves. And how does Jesus love? He crosses, crosses over. I've been learning this, and it's, it's kind of a confession to you, but I've been learning this more now in the last maybe year than I've ever learned it in my life. I tend to, toward individualism. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm an introvert, and I'm pretty self-contained, and I remember having a conversation years ago with someone saying, hey, if you could spend a day just with Jesus, the invisible Jesus, or with uh, a good friend, which would you choose? And I was like, that's a no-brainer, man. I'd be with Jesus every time. And my friend said to me, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, come on, your friend has Jesus, too. Only you see your friend. Why would you want to be with your friend? I go, friends die. Like, I'm kind of kidding, but not really. My dad died, my sister died, my aunt died on the operating table, and I said I wasn't going to go see her. I'd see her after the surgery, and then she died. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's much safer to ski with invisible Jesus. It's less work. So Monday is my birthday, and it happens to be a holiday, rightly. My 60th birthday should be a holiday. 
So, you know, Monday's my birthday, and uh, my wife goes, hey, some neighbors are going skiing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go over to this other, you know, expert area. She goes, yeah, the neighbors, hey, come on, they really want to, they want, they want to ski with you. And I know this, I mean, there's a couple families, and I know this one family is my friend and his two daughters, who are 10 and 8. Now, like, I was like, I don't want to ski with two 10 and 8-year-old girls on my birthday. I had a goal, I did have a goal, I had a goal to ski 60,000 vertical feet on my birthday. I was um, 60 years, 60,000 feet, right? Boom. I'm going to go. And, and then my wife is persuasive somehow, and she goes, no, come on, just a run, at least one run, and then you can leave. Okay, you know, for the good of the neighborhood, one run. So, I, you know, I go, and these, and these girls who I barely know, some, I don't know why, but they took to me, right? And, and the fact that they took to me, I took to them. We were actually... This doesn't matter, but we were the three best skiers, right? <laughs> and so, so, like, I started really enjoying skiing with them. And so we go down, and I go, oh, one more run with the girls. And then the girls are like, hey, Richard, you want to go in the woods? Yes. <laughs> All my peers don't go in the woods. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> you know, there we go. And then another lift. Four, five, six, seven runs. I'm with, and then I'm like, I'm riding the chair with the girls. Donnie, you hang out with the old people. <laughs> I'm with the girls. And I'm learning, I'm learning who plays saxophone and who swims and who likes to read and who likes math. And I'm like this. This is not me, right? But something, something I'm learning something really, really important that I preemptively choose to isolate. And when the Holy Spirit gives me an opportunity to relationship and I say yes, it's delightful. Who knew? Yeah, so maybe community meal is your next step. Maybe shelter is your next step. Maybe your neighbor is your next step. But let me tell you this, if you're not crossing over, you're missing something significant. Because this is how we learn to be united. It's how we learn to love. It's the only way we learn to love is by crossing. Because that's what it means to love like Jesus. John 13, 34. I pray that, uh, that you'd love each other the same way that I uh, love the Father, right? The same way that I love you. If I'm sent, I'm sending. Go. Find relationship. <laughs> Hello? Love your neighbor. So that's it. And then by, by way of practical application here, we're under, let's understand we're all prone to division. We are. But love is intended to trump division. I'm going to read just 1 Corinthians 8 a little bit, and we'll unpack this in a few minutes a bit more. But in 1 Corinthians 8, it says this. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So briefly, Paul is answering a question here. He's challenging the community in Corinth, because here's what's going on. Uh, there are pagan temples in Corinth, and they, in their worship, there's meat that's offered. It's burnt offerings. It's a barbecue, basically. And then the meat is given to people afterward. Anybody can come and eat the meat in a, in a kind of a community hall. So it's, you could almost call it a potluck, but people can come and eat the meat. And so there are now Christians eating this meat, right? For various reasons. Some, they just want the meat. Some are poor. They don't have protein at home. 
They're coming there eating the meat, and, and some are judging those who are eating the meat, and then those who are eating the meat are saying, no, I'm going to eat the meat. I don't care what you think of me. There's a division going on about eating meat. And so here's Paul says, look, concerning the meat, he says, look, we all know it's okay to eat the meat. We all know it's not a problem to eat the meat. However, for some people, it may, it, you're, we're running the risk of them destroying their faith, eating the meat. And so this is what he says, even though you're right, like you have knowledge, understand that your knowledge alone will make you arrogant. In other words, knowledge without love creates arrogance, but love, it says, love edifies. So here, let me translate this for you in a very basic way. Paul is saying here that you can be right about some issue, but if, you're, if your actions and your, and your response and your language is not rooted in love and the privacy relationship, then even when you're right, you're wrong. And this is super important. Anyone who's married in the room knows this already, right? If you had an argument, how many, just a little straw poll here, how many have won an argument where you actually lost in your marriage? Is that how many in the room? Of course, yeah, I mean, it, many hands have gone up here because we understand this. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then you're kind of like this, gotcha, right? Ha, I told you it was the right turn. And now we're off here in the woods. I told you. And then you're wagging your finger and you're right. Of course you're right, but you've lost because it's not love anymore. Primacy of love, friends, because when you're right but you're wrong, everyone loses. Now, in contrast to that, when we declare that unity is a higher value and we have a mission, then we learn to love each other in spite of distinctions. When I was in um, college, I was at Cal Poly down in California, so uh, it's, it's on the coast, and I moved there. I was 19 years old, and my dad had died, and I was kind of depressed, and, and I met a gal in the dining hall, and then she says, oh, you're a Christian, because I saw her praying in the, over her food and wanting to engage her in conversation. I waited till she was done praying, then I prayed so that she would see something, right? It's like... Evangelical pickup techniques. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, I am. Hey, glad you asked. How'd you know? Well, I saw you praying. Oh, what a coincidence. Yeah, not really. But anyway, <laughs> then she says, hey, I want you to meet my friend. And so we go back to our dorm, Sierra Madre, and she goes, this is Jim. Jim's gigantic, big afro, big red beard. And so my friend Cindy says, Jim's going to be leading a Bible study here because we're praying for all of, we're praying for everybody in the dorm to come to Christ. That's our goal this year, everybody. Jim says, he, like he, he doesn't just greet me, like he, he takes my hand, he shakes my hand, he hugs me, he picks me up like this, he shakes me, he sets me down and he does this. He goes, I've heard you play piano. God's going to do great things in our dorm this year. He's going to use you too. And I was like this. He's big, right? He, he shook me. He's wild-eyed. Okay. Ah, what do I do? You're playing piano. So we did for a year. Our leadership team is six. And uh, by the end of the year, we'd baptized 70 people uh, at Pismo Beach. In our dorm of 210, 70 came to Christ. It's a revival. Like, how does that happen? Well, you know, it's because our leadership team, it's because we believed everything exactly the same because here, here's who we were. We were a Roman Catholic, a Pentecostal, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, an, an Eastern, Eastern Orthodox guy, 
and, a, and, a, and another charismatic. Are you kidding me? Like we could have argued all day. But instead, we just, we got together, we prayed for our roommates. And they began dropping like flies. <laughs> right? I mean, in the best sense of that phrase. God uses it. Why? Because we're on mission. People serving other people is what draws us together. So uh, that's love. We loved each other in spite of, because there was mission. Second, grace. In non-essentials, liberty. Very important here. Uh, in other words, if, to practice this, there's two things we need to do. We need to extend grace, that's Romans 14, and we need to give up rights, that's 1 Corinthians 8. We need to extend grace, Romans 14. So in Romans 14, you have some, some issues in Romans 14. Two issues in particular. On what day do we worship? It's a question that was being asked in the first century. Some were Saturday, and by the way, the Saturday worshipers were uh, drawing their conviction right out of the Bible, Right? Oh, Saturday. Why? Well, because, can you, hello, read it. Exodus 19, the law. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, seventh day. Oh, yeah, but remember Jesus rose on the first day, and so we want to commemorate the first day of the week, so we're worshiping the first day. You know, seven, one, seven, one. It's a division in the church, pretty big division, actually. Seven, the natural order of things. God rests on the seventh day, why aren't you? (laughs) Jesus rose on the first day, why aren't you honoring it? It's an argument. And there's another argument at that time. Uh, some would eat meat and some wouldn't. Some are just vegetarians um, rooted in Genesis 3, pre-fall, you know, every herb. Oh, yeah, but remember Genesis 9, you know, the covenant of Noah. Now you only meat. And then people are like this. Yeah, well, you know, we want to live with the ideal, vegetarianism. <laughs> we need protein. Noah, Right? It's back and forth. So, do you understand here two issues? Already, there's a possibility of four denominations, right? Uh, Sabbath, vegetarian. Sabbath, meat eater. Uh, Sunday, vegetarian. Sunday, meat eater. We can can divide. We can divide. So, what does Paul say in a very contentious environment where everybody's claiming the moral high ground? And not only claiming the high ground, but claiming it on the basis of Scripture. Come on, read your Bible. Genesis 3. Oh, yeah? Genesis 9. Remember down there, Pike Place? Yeah, I'm right. Here's why. And both people have arguments. What do you do? Here's what Paul says. Relax. That's my paraphrase, but that's what he says. (laughs) Right? Because, look, what he's saying here is, (laughs) he's saying you need to extend grace to one another. And by the way, this is really, really important because I'm going to share, you know, you understand we live in a very polarized time. And so what he's saying here, by sharing grace, is he's saying, look, uh, if, if, you're, if you're enlightened, then, then don't judge people who you, you view as more legalistic. Yeah, okay, you have, oh, great, you have liberty. You're great, you have liberty, so you're not, uh, you're not, you don't drink any alcohol. Oh, excuse me, you do, you have liberty, yeah, you do, so you drink. So don't judge those who don't. Oh, you know, fundamentalists over there, fear-based. Relax. And by the way, the reverse is true. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. He's, he's saying extend grace on issues because in, in, in many of these issues, people are drawing their convictions from the Bible on both sides. 
And if they're drawing their convictions from the Bible on both sides, then maybe it's not that important. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if, I, if I can argue it both ways, alcohol. Oh, yeah, you know, you know Proverbs, you know, wine is decept- deceptive or whatever it is there in Proverbs. Oh, yeah, but remember with Timothy when he was sick? You know, drink a little wine for your stomach. No need to stress out. Enjoy it. And then what, what did Jesus do? Oh, you know, he turned water to wine. First, first miracle. Oh, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't real wine. We all know, you know, it was watered down a little bit, and uh, no one could get drunk over that. I mean, I've heard all of it. And I go, can we just please stop and give each other grace? Because we know drunkenness is a problem. But that's about all we know from the Bible. Both other sides we're drawing from the scriptures, but we need to get, extend grace. Second, we need to give up rights. And this is for, it goes back to 1 Corinthians 8. So here's, look, here's the meat eater, and he knows, hey, it's, look, so what if it was in a pagan festival? These idols are nothing to me. I'm not, gonna, I'm not, gonna be, I'm not at risk of becoming uh, uh, polytheistic because I eat this meat. I'm not. So I'm free here. But, but Paul says, look, you know you're free if you care about your brother, if, if, if by my eating meat, there's a risk now that you'll go and eat the meat, and not only eat the meat, but now begin to participate in this pagan festival, and, and, and so end up with this syncretistic form of Christianity where it's, you know, it's, it's Jesus plus Aphrodite. If that's, if, if that's a risk, then it's better that I not eat meat. Do you see this? In other words, I need to give up my rights. This is just absolutely what it means to be incarnational. So, like, if you live in the Northwest, we have, a, we have a culture. But if we're sent ones, when, we, when we're sent, we're called to embody the culture where we go, not demand our way. It's pretty, it's pretty basic. So, in our culture, you know, we're, we're coffee for sure. We know that, right? And not just coffee, but coffee that's well cared for and good and brewed properly. And, and we're probably micro-brews, some of us are. And, and we're certainly casual, right? We're Gore-Tex, we're Polypro, we're REI. But then, you know, then if you travel like I do, like not a, this may come as news to you. Not everyone is this way, right? So you, I, like I go, when I go teach in Montana, and I, and I get up and I go to make coffee in the room where, where I'm staying, there's a can of Folgers there. And I go, where am I? Like, what is this, right? Does no one care about, you know? Has human, all human decency disappeared? Like, and, and I just find myself going, no, and yet, here's the deal. Whatever, this is not my home, I'm there. If I'm there and it's Folgers, then it's Folgers, right? And if I'm in Africa, and I enjoy dressing like this, but in Africa, where it's 90 degrees and humid, the protocol for anyone speaking is white shirt, tie, and coat, then I'm not going to be like this. Come on, I'm from the Northwest. Are you kidding me? It's white shirt. It's tie. Because that's what it means to be incarnational. And if I go to Nepal, it's chai tea. And no one drinks alcohol who's a Christian. And so am I going to demand my rights? No, that's not what love does. (laughs) 
Love gives up rights. And so if I'm in Nepal, then I'm like this. I love chai tea. Please. And if I'm in Austria and every shop is closed on Sunday, I'm not like this. Well, you know, in America, you can buy anything 24-7. What's wrong with you people? No, 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 no. This is what it means to be incarnational. This is where we are. Because if I insist on individual rights, my insistence on individual rights will result in division and division and division. And uh, when we divide, then we end up with, as we have now, 33,000 denominations globally. All of whom agree on one thing, that the one thing Jesus prayed for in John 17, 20 is unity. <laughs> All 33,000 different denominations agree on that one thing. And so this brings us lastly to the truth. In essentials, unity. What are the essentials? There's a couple. They become kind of the acid tester. Grace is an essential. Paul says in um, Galatians 1, as gracious Paul is, he said, I had to confront Timothy. Because Timothy, excuse me, I had to, I'm sorry, I had to confront Peter, says Paul. Why? Because Peter was disassociating himself from the Gentiles and spending time with the Jews and he was beginning to imply once again that maybe circumcision is necessary part of the family of faith. And as soon as I saw it, he says, I confirm him face to face because Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. In other words, if you're not saved by faith alone, you're outside of historic orthodoxy and, 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 and the work that Christ died and rose again to provide for you, which is a free gift, entirely free, Jesus plus nothing, that's the gospel. So grace, it's an essential Another essential is this, like, do my values and ethics end up causing me to look like Christ? And so Bonhoeffer then said, so yes, I'll shelter Jews, because <laughs> that looks like Jesus. Turning Jews in does not look like Jesus. Turning away refugees doesn't look like Jesus. Declaring a certain... People group, subhuman, doesn't look like Jesus. We don't need a long list of things that look like Jesus. Here's what looks like Jesus. Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And finally, we need orthodoxy as a foundation. In other words, there are truths that have uh, withstood the test of time. The Nicene Creed is a classic example of this, right? Declarations regarding who God is, who Christ is, why Christ came, what his work on the cross accomplished, that he will return. It's not, it's not huge. It doesn't address spiritual gifts. It doesn't address inerrancy. There's a lot of things it doesn't address, but it addresses the things that matter. So grace, does it look like Christ's orthodox foundation? And, and when that happens and we're sent people, being sent unites us. And that's my prayer for Bethany. Is that the, the banner carved in wood still hanging 100 years from now. And that we're bound together, not by esoteric doctrines that so often divide, but that we're bound together by the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, who himself was full of grace and truth. I had a friend in um, El Paso, Texas, pastoring down there, gets a call, hey, 2,500 immigrants coming up from Honduras, right? They need translation, food, temporary shelter, 
and passageway to various places across the United States where they have said on a form that they have a contact of relatives. And there's going to be a court date somewhere. So we're dropping them, says Immigration Services. We're dropping the Walmart parking lot. Can the church help <laughs> with all those services? So my friend pulls all the churches together and they serve these immigrants. Powerful story. She says to me, she says, Rich, uh, I had in teams people who are going to be voting for Sanders, Trump, Cruz, and Clinton. They're all working together. Like, when was the last time that happened? And then she shared one story in particular, a man who said, I think I'm voting for Donald Trump. I was certain before, because I like the idea of a wall. Lives in Texas. This is, but this is what he said. He said, I don't, know, I don't know now what's going on. And here's why. Though I like the idea of a wall, still like the idea of a wall. I met this woman with three children. And this is all I know for certain. She's alone, she's hungry, she's afraid, and I can help. So I may not answer all the questions, but I can help. And if the guy next to me is voting for Sanders and he can help, we'll help together. Do you understand what that's called? Unity bound together by what? Mission. Mission. That's why we do what we do around here. That's why there's a, a homeless shelter and a community meal, and even a, that's why there's a wilderness ministry and an alpha course. That's why this building's going down and a new one's coming up because the new one will enable us to allow the community to use it because it'll be code safe again so that we can serve our neighbors because if we're not on mission, we're not united. We're going to have shooting each other. But Jesus said in John 17, look, the world will know that I'm the sent one, because you are united. And how, you be, how will you be united? By stepping into God's story. So as we close, uh, we'll sing about what we believe, and I'll encourage you to pray about the next step you can take, moving into God's story. If you're not on mission, unity is threatened in your heart and in your relationships. Take steps toward Christ. Father, meet us now as we respond. We're grateful that you call us to be a people united by grace, but united on mission. And so would that be our reality as your people? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.